Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand a little more about how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Skyway's team of former contracting officers and industry pros will help make you more productive, more competitive, and more effective in the government market. Visit skywaymember.com to learn more. This episode covers delivery incentives. It's part of our series on contract incentives that also includes performance incentives and cost incentives in separate episodes. Okay, let's get started. Today we're going to talk about delivery incentives, but before we get into the specifics of delivery incentives, let's rewind a little bit and talk about incentives overall. So how do we incentivize delivery on time? or even delivery early, well, there's really two areas, that two extremes you can go with. One is that you, you get paid for doing it. That's that's your really no incentive. Just is deliver. To, yeah, delivery, I'll, I'll pay you, you get paid. Show, exactly. Yeah. And the other extreme is we can incentivize everything to motivate you to be as fast and early as possible. And it's I, I like to use the analogy of uh, it's like a comp, compensation plan for salespeople. And you know the joke of among salespeople is that the comp plan drives behavior. And it does because if you tell me to sell X and that's how – I make my living and how my kids eat, I'm going to sell X. If you ne- the next day say, okay, well, you're selling Y, and that's where the bonuses are, I'm going to sell Y. And so incentives work the same way, is if you want to switch behavior, switch to comp plan and be aware of what it's going to cause. Right. In, in theory, the government can incentivize anything, but it really it comes down to cost incentives, performance incentives, and delivery incentives. Since we're talking delivery, the government can incentivize any part of the delivery. They can incentivize... Partial deliveries, they can incentivize the entire delivery, early delivery. They can have milestones with different incentives to them. You can have incentives to deliver the first units fast and then the rest of them on schedule. Sounds easy when you say it that way. It's whatever you want. It's whatever makes sense. So let's roll on and get into delivery incentives. Before we do that, let's stop and say thanks. To Nefertiti McDonald. She is a senior contract specialist at the VA. She's a, a, a big supporter of our content on LinkedIn. I appreciate that she likes and shares and comments on a lot of her stuff. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Thank you. Now we just need to get more people to do that. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> One day at a time. So let's recap. We did an overview of incentive contracts in episode 44 where we talked about all kinds of incentives. This is FAR 16.401, so we're sort of in FAR time as well. Woo! Incentive contracts are appropriate when a firm fixed price contract is not appropriate and the required supplies or services can be acquired at lower costs and in certain instances with improved delivery or technical performance by relating the amount of profit or fee payable under the contract to the contractor's performance. In other words, if you do what we want, if we get it faster or if we get a better product, we'll give you more money. More money. There you go. That, that's, that's the trade-off is faster, better in exchange for money. So there's two basic categories of incentive contracts. We're not going to get into the difference between firm fixed price incentives and cost reimbursement contract incentives. But it's important to know that the FAR throws in one little trick that it says it's since it's usually to the government's advantage for the contractor to to assume substantial cost responsibility and appropriate share of the cost risk, fixed price incentive contracts are preferred. Yeah, and the strategy here is that the government wants to push as much risk onto you in exchange for any kind of incentive. So if you're, if, if you're going to get more money, they want you to take the risk with it. That's the idea. Yeah. Last thing before we really get deep, FAR 16401-D reminds you that 
a determination and finding has to be signed by the head of the contracting activity to justify the use of any kind of incentive contract. You have to say it's in the best interest of the government. So so this does take some approval. Incentive contracts come with benefits and And risks and challenges. So you have to have them approved at a pretty high level. All right, delivery incentives are in FAR 16402-3. There's really only, there's an A and a B here. This is pretty straightforward. 402-3A says delivery incentives should be considered when an improvement from a required delivery schedule is a significant government objective. And then it says it is important to determine the government's primary objectives in a given contract. That is earliest possible delivery or earliest quantity production or whatever. So that's kind of like one of those no kidding kind of statements. <laughs> when a significant objective is earlier delivery, you should consider giving the contractor some incentive to deliver early. And what I take away from this is the question of, is it worth doing? Make sure it's worth doing. It needs to have a significant government value. It's right. probably how they should say that. And so this is really kind of clarified by the fact that you have to get the head of, head of contracting activity to sign off on an incentive contract. This is why is that you don't just do these because, oh, this will be fun, or just it might be a value. It needs to be significant value. It's got to be worth, you know, the juice has to be worth the squeeze. Right. So faster delivery is a significant government objective. What is significant? Subjective term. <laughs> right. How much How much faster is faster? The second piece of 402-3, 402-3B, it says incentive arrangements. I hate when you read the far. <laughs> it says incentive arrangements on delivery should specify the application of the reward penalty structure in the event of government caused delays or other delays beyond the control and without the fault or negligence of the contractor. In other words, don't forget that if you're creating a delivery incentive, sometimes the government causes a delay. It's <gasps> not the contractor's fault. Shocking. How could that happen? What? You mean, for instance, Funding isn't available. Yep, I was going to jump on that too. Uh, yeah, we've been in continuing resolution hell for it seems like decades now. Yeah, and we've had situations where the equipment didn't get through the gate. Um, the subcontractor was held up because of security concerns at the gate, literally. So they had to sit overnight while the equipment didn't show up in time. Uh, we had one where the the continuing resolution. This is a stupid problem. Kept me from traveling to the facility to approve <laughs> the next step. Uh, and it's like, what a stupid problem to have that like everybody's going, seriously, Kevin's going to sign this thing. Where's Kevin? So it was funny. Yeah. Sometimes there's a situation where there's two contracts that kind of depend on each other and your contract has a delivery incentive, but you require something from this other contract in order to do your job. That contract gets behind. So it's not your fault. You just sit around waiting. You can't make your incentive. So all this part of the FAR is saying is that you need to remember somehow that you might have to adjust these delivery incentives if there's delays that are outside of the contractor's control. For me, that just goes back to one of the most basic things that every contracts person learns, document everything, document, document, document. You got to remember to document everything that impacts the delivery schedule because at the end, when you're trying to determine whether or not the incentive was earned, you're going to need to be able to sort out that yeah, we, we lost four days because of this event or the government caused a delay that lost us seven days here and therefore we're still on time and we've earned all our incentive, right? If you don't yeah. have it documented, you're never going to be able to trace back and figure that stuff out. Yeah, you, you have to show that you should be graded on a curve. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. We talked about cost and performance incentives in other episodes. 
And here we've just talked about delivery, but remember, most contracts include more than one type of incentive. And by the by the way, every contract with incentives has to have a cost incentive there. Right. Why? So, so if it has delivery, it has to have cost. So by definition, it's going to have more than Multiple one. incentives. There you go. The more incentives you have, the more complicated this gets. And FAR 16402-2 actually talks about structuring multiple incentive contracts. It's, it says... A multiple incentive should motivate the contractor to strive for outstanding results in all incentive areas and compel trade-off decisions among the incentive areas that match the government's objectives. So if you have a performance objective and a cost objective and a delivery objective, if you care most about getting this product delivered early and you don't care as much whether it costs more, your incentive structure has to make it clear to the contractor that delivering faster is better and probably has to mean that that's how the contractor makes more money. Because if the contractor is going to make more money through the performance incentive or cost incentive piece of, of, the, of the structure, they're not going to focus on delivering earlier. So the FAR is reminding you that these, these trade-offs are, are real. Contractors are motivated usually by making more money, winning new business, so they're going to do what's best for them. You need to make it clear if you're writing incentives. You need to make it clear what the real goal is. Yeah, and, and the, the clarity of the sentence is that the multiple awards should compel trade-off decisions that match the government's objective. And so the underlying theme there is are we communicating on what those are? Yeah. And, and this is the foot stomper for me is let's not wait until – post-award to have this awkward conversation of, <laughs> oh, what do you mean you wanted it like five pounds lighter? I thought you meant five ounces lighter. You know, it's a stupid example, but I actually had one that had to do with weight and they misunderstood how we were, how we were actually determining the weight. Was it, was it this part or was it all the parts combined? And it was all the parts combined. And the difference was a very heated argument that had to do with whether or not they got an incentive. So this whole idea of what are those short-off decisions going to look like, we have to make sure that both sides understand that it matches the, What's important to the government? That that sounds really simple to say. It's one line in the FAR. <laughs> it's one little paragraph. But we go back to the idea we're squeezing a balloon here. You're, when you squeeze one side, something is, you're pushing another direction. So the combination of cost performance and delivery goals, you have to clearly understand both of them. And the sooner you start with that conversation, like market research zone, is when this, this conversation should be happening. It's really almost impossible to do great on all three incentives at once. It's almost impossible to be cheaper and better performance and deliver faster. We used to joke that when we were coming up in the intern days, faster, better, cheaper was all the government talked about. It. You know, in the Air Force, we had lightning bolt acquisition. <laughs> lightning bolts, I forgot about that. Yeah. We got we to gotta do everything faster, better, and cheaper. And the joke used to be faster, better, cheaper, pick two. And depending on how you pick, depending on how you set up the incentive structure, that third one may be way out of whack with the other ones. Yeah, it's you can get faster and better. It's going to cost you a lot more in most cases. If you want it cheaper, you might not get even close to the performance you're looking for. You're certainly not going to get better performance for less money. Particularly on services, just just putting it out there. <laughs> that, that, this, I would say these faster, better, cheaper, it is an axiom on service contracts. You cannot have all three. Yeah. So I always talk about the law of unintended consequences. That's, what, that's what's happening here. It's really difficult to understand all of the impacts. When you're, when you're weighing three different variables, it's difficult to understand how they're all interrelated. 
got to spend some time and maybe communicate between government and industry to make sure that both sides understand all the impacts because it's pretty sure that the government folks don't understand what even small changes to an incentive structure can do to the contractor's plans. It's also probably true that industry doesn't understand what the government really wants based on their first reading of the incentive structure. The additional problem with this unintended consequences is is that when you incentivize, let's say, getting something done faster, when you incentivize that on and and get people to go even faster than they normally would, you're amplifying the problems that it may create. So you're effectively adding jet fuel to a strategy. And that's the part that it sounds really nice to say, hey, we could do this even faster. But if it's not the right thing, you're just making the problem worse faster. <laughs> and so that's that's one of the things about incentive contracts that I wish I'd understood sooner. Let's talk about when incentives come into play in the acquisition world. In the acquisition time zones, you're usually talking the market research zone and the RFP zone slash proposal zone. This is when the government's trying to figure out what contractors are capable of, and this is where contractors need to be communicating back. This is what we're capable of, and this is what incentives matter to us. This is what's achievable, and this is how you get us to achieve that. And that results in an RFP and therefore a proposal that meets everyone's needs. In the execution time zones, we're talking about the performance zone and the recompete zone. Now, during the kickoff, it's always a good idea to run over the incentives, incentive plan and, and make sure that both sides are, are reading it the same way, that both sides really understand what it means. But you achieve those in, uh, incentives or not during the performance zone. And, and during the recompete zone is where you can decide, yeah, these were a really bad idea. Or say, you know, they were perfectly. Let's do them again on the yeah. next contract. Good point. Why is this important? You think it's usually a good thing to incentivize the the speed of of the program, the speed of the development, the speed of the delivery, the speed in filling positions, but is that always true? When we speed one thing up, what are we slowing down as a consequence? If If you ramp up production here, what can't you do as a result of that? Yeah, and an example would be on the the C seventeen program. I uh, was in the I was part of the program that was delivering it, and when we were in the plant, they were talking about the fact they had gotten so efficient at delivering it early that it was literally showing up at some of the bases sooner than they were ready for it. This is the kind of squeezing the balloon part you don't think about. So imagine you're supposed to get this aircraft on an X fiscal year, and it shows up the previous fiscal year. Well, you don't have funding to buy fuel for it. And that's not something that's in the contract. I mean, you, we didn't think about that. You might not have your hangar built. You exactly. might not have crews ready and the, trained. The, the runway might, might not be the same size. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that it's, it, that's the squeezing the balloon part. And this is pretty much impossible to think about all these variables. I get that. But this is the kind of stuff that when you're thinking about, take that same analogy and apply it to what's inside your contract and wonder, are, are we speeding things up that in a way that help us or are we just running faster on a treadmill? Because what you may be doing is just racing through one area and then creating a bottleneck further upstream or downstream in the whole acquisition process. It's kind of kind of like traffic. You you gotta love when cars are backed up and people are honking at each other to to go faster, even though there's nowhere to go. Last weekend, I was driving in D.C. on a one lane road with traffic line cars parked on either side, so it was literally one car wide, and there was a girl behind me in a car right on my bumper and honking at me to go faster because there was 50 feet between me and the car in front of me, which, by the way, was slowing down to stop at the light. <laughs> so where are we going? Yes, I had no incentive to go any faster because we were going to stop anyway. I wasn't going to get out of her way, nor could I get out of her way. 
Anyway. Uh, that, only to race to the next red light. <laughs> that was a little bit of a rant. Then when we finally got the open traffic, she pulled, it, pulled up next to me and rolled down her window and yelled something incoherent at me. <laughs> I suggest that girl settle down and find something important to get upset about. Next. <laughs> next. Right. Rant over. I guess my point for that is if you're going to incentivize speed, faster delivery, make sure that that there's an ability to accept that speed on the customer's part. You know, just like she wanted to go faster. I couldn't go any faster, so her honking wasn't incentivizing me to do anything. Just like your C-17 story. The contractor ended up being able to build them faster than the Air Force planned to accept them and just wasn't ready to accept them. So if there were delivery incentives in there, the contractor was getting their delivery incentives for delivering them for no benefit for the government in the end. In fact, probably created a cost because they had to go find the money to put fuel in them. Exactly. <laughs> We're extrapolating the impact of this, but it did actually deliver early. So you get the idea of how it has a spider web effect. So specifically, why should the government care about this? Your customer probably wants things sooner. By the time we get through probably. all of the acquisition zones and you actually get, sure they want get the acquisition sooner. done, you've probably already eaten into the, the schedule where they wanted things delivered. If you craft incentives properly, with industry and government both being involved, this gives industry the flexibility to really execute the way that they do. This capitalizes on industry's ability and prowess to manage their resources in order to deliver faster. The government needs to tap into that, not just by making up what, what they think works, but by communicating and learning how to enable industry to do these things. And a lot of this is industry may be able to do certain things faster, in some cases a lot faster, than last even five years ago. Uh, and this is this is an exercise that we make sure we ask. And, and the reason this is such a foot stomper for me is this idea of contractors are incentivized to do things more efficiently. And say what you want, government's not really incentivized to do that all the time, right? To be to be honest. So that tap into that resource and realize that they can get things done possibly a lot faster than you think. And until you ask, you don't know. And if your incentive structure doesn't allow them to do that efficiently, they may not be able to earn the incentives. You may not get what you want, which is faster delivery, just because the structure doesn't lay it out right. If you talk to them and lay out a structure that allows them to succeed, everybody might get what they want. One way to think about that is you got to look for the knees in that cost curve. It might not cost fancy terms. It might not cost much more for a contractor to deliver a little earlier, but it might cost a lot more. You just don't know until you ask. There may be a long lead part that's impossible to get without huge costs, or they may just have to put work an extra shift for a couple weeks to to get it done. There, there's lots of differences. Make sure you understand what you're incentivizing, and what industry's capabilities are. Another piece, contract type matters. Firm fixed price motivates the most efficient delivery schedule from the contractor's perspective. They're going to do whatever makes them the most money to deliver it. But it may not be what you desire as the government, as the customer. Cost plus contracts motivate delivery on time or maybe even a little late if delivering a little late allows the contractor to spend all of the money that you put on the contract if it allows them to hit the cost ceiling and that and that little late delivery doesn't come with a a real penalty as far as profit or customer relationships contractors are motivated to make money to spend the money you put on contract so if you don't motivate them to deliver early they probably won't 
Why would they? I mean, seriously, there, there's there's got to be an incentive to to execute this more quickly, given all of the other options and, and needs within a company. So right. the the trick here is let's be creative on making sure that we understand how do we motivate the behavior that we want. And step one is to make sure that we both understand the behavior that we want. So if we, if we, if we haven't made that clear yet, communication is going to drive this to be successful. Yeah, I've seen far too many incentives plans that, that were pure at heart. Yeah. That the government thought they knew that they created a structure that would incentivize contractors to do exactly what they wanted. And contractors look at it and go, this is crazy. I don't, not only do I not understand how to earn the most incentive from this, but none of what they're writing that makes me more money is actually the way that I make more money. Right. And it's the, you don't know what you don't know. Let's flip it to the industry side. Why should industry care? This is an opportunity for industry to make more profit if, if they can overachieve on a program. This is a good thing. If you're on a cost plus type contract, cost plus fixed fee that says 7%, you're going to get 7% profit. If it's cost plus incentive fee and there's an incentive for faster delivery and you can deliver faster, you might be able to make 8 or 10% profit on this. So incentives are good. Industry should care. Industry needs to help the government understand what's possible and why it's worth an incentive. Like I was talking about before, government may think they understand what incentivizes contractors, but unless contractors are actually part of that decision-making process, they may not get it quite right. And the industry needs to understand that don't assume the government knows why this incentive model doesn't make any sense. Because the ones that I put out, I thought they made complete sense. And because I didn't have understanding of how cash flows work. I mean, I knew what they were from taking a class on it. But think about the things that the government doesn't know that they don't know. Right. You can't be an expert on everything if you're a contracting officer, right? If you're, if you're an industry, you're building something. You're hopefully an expert in, hopefully. What, in what you're building. But that government contracting officer, that government acquisition team might buy a whole lot of different things where they have some familiarity, but they don't have all the nuances that allow them to really craft an incentive structure that really motivates contractors to achieve it. So Yeah, don't, don't be surprised if their, their first crack at, at an incentive plan doesn't align. And I, I feel like the, the biggest gap right now in incentives is the lack of early communication and and here's a here's a nuance to it. Not only is the contract type, but also the size of company. Is that depending on the type of of, of worker, is it is it a service, is it a product, the size of the company, the scale of resources they have, all of those things are gonna impact whether or not it's gonna incentivize them to do more. So you need to be asking the right company a small if I ask a small business, are you incentivized to do this faster? And I ask a large business, are you incentivized to do this same thing faster? You probably get a different answer. Yeah. Particularly particularly if it's a product they're developing. Yeah. Don't forget that we're talking about industrial resources here. So faster delivery on one program may impact other programs that a company is working on as resources are diverted. So even though the government wants to achieve a faster delivery schedule on this program, it may not make sense for the company to put any additional resources into achieving that faster delivery schedule because it may hurt them on other programs. So don't think that just because there's an incentive there that contractors are going to drive towards that incentive. they got to look big picture. All right, let's summarize this. Let's wrap up. Kevin, what's your big so, takeaway? Yeah, my, my big takeaway is, if, if you haven't picked up on it, communicate. And so <laughs> let, let me show you what I mean. Is it, The government says to the customer, 
do you want this faster? So in this case, contracting officer says to the, to, the, to the user, do you want this faster? And why do you want it faster? And then the government team says to industry, hey, can you do this faster? And how would you do it faster? And then industry says to, to the government customer, oh, of course I can do it faster. And then industry says again to the customer, here's what I need in order to be able to do it faster. That fourth step that I just laid out where industry says, here's what I need you to understand before I can create an, an incentive model that works for both of us. Because to just, I can do it faster. I mean, you know, look at Amazon will deliver stuff faster for you, but it, it's going to cost you more, right? Well, that's the incentive. You better have a really big incentive to get it faster. Mm -hmm. Because if, if just paying more to get it, to have the Christmas present show up on the 19th instead of the 21st, it's a Christmas present. I still have four more days, right? I'm not really motivated. And I've, and I've seen that in contracts where things have shown but, but up. But showing up on the 24th versus the 27th. There you go. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's not, not very useful. It's, now it's a, now it's a uh, post-Christmas present. So this goes back to the use RFIs, use market research, ask questions. Make and, and honestly, ask during the, the, the recompete zone is what can we do to understand what worked and what didn't? My big concern over how these aren't working as well as they could is it is that we're not all considering the entire we'll call it the supply chain but the entire acquisition cycle of you can speed up kind of like your example you can speed up to the next red light and yeah you went faster I hit 50 miles an hour for 100 feet and if somebody's incentivized that you that they get paid when you go that fast for those 100 feet yay but what's the end goal the end goal is to get there faster overall which means you got to take out all the red lights I like that you mentioned the recompete zone is a good time to talk about it Anytime that you're actually in a contractual relationship, the communication is—it's usually wider open when, than when the next acquisition comes around. So it's a great time to talk about these things and get some honest feedback on what will help. Now, of course, it might be shaded towards what will help me if I'm a contractor and not the other contractors. But the government's usually smart enough to understand. <laughs> I see that coming. That, yeah, that's a little bit, a little bit shaded. But I get the overall picture of this is the kind of thing that's important to industry. I'll wrap up by pulling us back to the law of unintended consequences. Faster may come with impacts to cost and performance. So if you're going to incentivize delivery, make sure that your cost incentives are tied to it properly. If you're going to, in, if you're going to incentivize performance and delivery, make sure you understand the interactions between those and their impacts on cost. You really have to focus on how those incentives are interrelated and hopefully you can use industry to help you understand how those inter interrelations matter to them. I just thought of a great question to put into an RFI. What do you, ask, ask industry this question, what do you see as the unintended consequences of the following incentive plan? Send. <laughs> <laughs> and see what happens. See if anybody's honest with you. You may get more than you expect. Thanks for joining us today on the Contracting Officer Podcast, and thanks to our sponsors, Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywaymember.com to find out how to be more prepared, more competitive, and more effective in government contracting. Connect with us here on the podcast at the Contracting Officer Podcast Network Group on LinkedIn and the Government Contracting Network Group on Facebook. And remember, our topics are listener-driven, so send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com with your ideas.